Let's get into the word tonight. Lord, I thank you for your presence that's here. I thank you, Holy Spirit, for coming to anoint and empower this time. But as we get into the word, I thank you, Lord, for the anointing of the Holy Spirit present on the word. I thank you, um, Holy Spirit, even now, moving upon all of us that are going to be getting into the word of the Lord, uh, that we can be good soil of hearts and minds. And that I thank you, Lord, for speaking through me. Everything that needs to be said under a mighty anointing, it will go out as living seeds of truth sown in a good soil, watered by the Holy Spirit, take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains till Jesus comes. And I thank you, Lord, for it even now, and that the winds of the Spirit are going to carry this out among the nations. It will get where it's supposed to accomplish what it's supposed to. The Bible says the word will not return void, but it will go forth and accomplish that which the Lord sent it forth to do. And I thank you, Lord, for saying through me everything that needs to be said. And this will be a powerful time. And we take authority over the enemy, the birds of the air that try to steal the seed. We bind anything of the enemy right now in Jesus' name that would try to hinder this word from getting where it's supposed to and accomplishing what it's supposed to. We command it is bound and you will back off in Jesus' name. But I thank you, Lord, for your power present and the word of the Lord going forth and that everything will be said and accomplished in and through this, the outworking of it, that your will to be done. We stand in faith. We agree together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, how many love God's word? So last week we got into the word of the Lord about faith, and I'm going to continue on this series for a while. And for some reason, this was just on my heart today too. just make a statement that God, how many knows that man having their way, man will always choose a Saul, but God will always choose a David. And what was the difference? Saul was not a good king. He ended up getting off, even visiting a witch before he died. And, and he, was, he was just not a good king. But God touched him at the beginning, but he got wayward, you know. But yet, what was the difference? Saul was handsome, a head taller. He looked like a king. He was what man would pick. But God picked David. And David was lowly and humble and he was the youngest of his family. He was out keeping the sheep. He was the, he was the guy that nobody else would have picked. Man would have never picked David. But God looked at his heart, and God raised him up. And even though there were wonderful kings, a few of them, not a lot, but there was a few good kings like Hezekiah and Josiah, how many knows nobody was really like King David? You know, he had a heart for God. And so just remember that, that man will always gravitate toward the outward appearance Toward things that, that's why not everything that looks from man's perspective at being successful is actually successful from God's perspective. And sometimes things that are lowly and despised of man are of great value to the Lord. So you have to have God's perspective, and we get that in prayer, don't we? All right, so I just want to say that up front, I have a few things to cover and maybe some statements I find interesting toward the end that I want to share and make sure everybody hears that. But last week we talked about, let me pick up where I left off. We talked about faith and faith being a substance. And so faith is there until you actually get what you're praying for. So you hold on to it like, a, like you have a check that you haven't cashed. And so it's something that as you pray and believe, you have an actual substance called faith that's in the place of what you're believing for until 
the answer actually manifesting comes in the natural. And so you have to stay in faith, whatever it is, whether it's a healing or a financial miracle or a lost loved one, whatever you're praying for, you've got to stay in that realm of faith until you see the answer come. And when that comes, of course, faith is replaced by the answer. So faith is not an emotion. It's important because I think a lot of times people get their emotions all stirred up and they they feel like emotionally, I have great faith, and then they're let down when it doesn't happen. And I think Satan tries to use that to wear people out. And so it's not an emotion, and it's also not just mentally agreeing with something. Because I can preach on something tonight and people say, yes, I agree with what you're saying. It's in the Word and I agree with it, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they have faith. And so God has to get faith in us. So what is faith and where does it come from? Faith is a spiritual thing. And it comes from your innermost being called your spirit. So the realm of the soul is just your mind and emotions. In which it's important that our mind and emotions are in agreement with faith. But real faith comes from the spirit. And that's what the Bible's talking about when it uses the metaphor, your heart It's talking about your innermost being, your spirit. And it says that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. See, that's the key. It's heart faith spirit in your spirit that comes out of your mouth. And that type of faith moves mountains. And it doesn't even take a lot of it. Jesus said, just the size of a mustard seed. I believe that all of us have a measure of faith. The Bible says that. And you have faith for what you're called to do and faith for what you're to believe for. We just need to learn how to use our faith. But let me say this. We can grow in faith and we can strengthen our faith. There's times that, that we need our faith to increase. So how do you see your faith grow? The Bible talks about faith comes by hearing. And so as you get in the word of God and meditate on it day and night, speak it out loud and you get into the word and you you quote specific scriptures about your need, it goes from your head and it ends up getting down in your spirit. And when it gets down in your spirit, there's great faith to believe for that. So, and sometimes you need other people to agree with you because how many knows that we go through things and when you're really going through something really bad, your emotions can be all over the place and they can distract you. doesn't mean you don't have faith, but your emotions can be haywire and you need other people that will agree with you that are not, their emotions aren't everywhere. How many knows what I'm talking about? But your faith doesn't matter. Your, once you have faith in your spirit, I remember one time my emotions were really bothering me about something that I was going through. This was probably around 2012 and as I was frustrated and upset and my emotions were, were upset, I was standing there and the Lord spoke to me and he said, you know, let this happen because I'm going to do such and such. I'm not going to repeat it now. But he spoke to me, even though my emotions were upset. And then I knew that what God said would happen. It doesn't matter. And let me tell you that after God said that, it became impossible. It became absolutely impossible for that thing to happen in the natural. Let me assure you that it would not have happened unless God made it happen. And so God told me he was going to do something. And then after he said that, it became absolutely impossible for it to even happen. And it didn't happen for seven years. But then it did happen, just like God said it would. Because God had told me, and I stayed in faith about it, and I would pray in faith and thank him in faith, and then eventually it happened. 
But how many knows that many times God will tell you something and then it'll become impossible. And it seems like if God, the more loud and the more clear and maybe even repetitious God tells us something is because of the fact that it's going to become impossible in the natural. And if, if he didn't give us his promise, we wouldn't be even be able to believe for it because we think, well, that's not even possible. You know, that's, that's kind of like the story of Lazarus being raised from the dead. I mean, that she was it Martha that said to Jesus said if you had just come a day or two earlier and Jesus said oh, calm down she was all emotional she said, calm down and he said if you believe the Lord can raise him you know and she said well I know he can in the last day at the judgment he said no 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 I mean today you know but she she was in the realm of emotion there and then when Jesus gave that word she began to put her faith with what he was saying you see Many times we need, we need a word from the Lord that we can stand on. All right. So the Bible says a couple things I want to read. Uh, Hebrews eleven six. without faith, it's impossible to please God. So let's take a moment right there to park just for a moment and realize that if we're not in the realm of faith, our life is not pleasing to God. Now that's a sobering thought, isn't it, for all of us? It says, for he who comes to God, so that means when you come to him, that's saying when you pray about things. Is this when we go to God? He said, you must believe that he exists or you wouldn't even come in the first place and that he is the rewarder of those that diligently seek him. So that's not just a one-time little prayer. That's somebody that knows that they're talking to a person that exists and they know that he is a rewarder of those that will keep after him about it. And so God is wanting us to believe to the degree that we are not going to give up until we see it. And I think God has prepared me for some things through the years because there's been times that he spoke to me, spoke to my wife things, and then it seemed so impossible. I mean, this happened multiple times. and But yet God came through and did the very thing he said. You have to believe and also, I would say that sometimes that the word of the Lord will come prophetically through a person to you, but just make sure it's the Lord. And if it is, you got to really lay hold of that and pray it through because Satan will try to hinder it. And then Hebrews six twelve, it says, so that you may not be lazy, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So there is a realm of faith and there's a realm of being patient until you see it come to pass. The situation I was talking about for seven years, I could have grown impatient and gave up and said, well, I guess God's never going to do it. And I could have just got out of faith. And, and that can hinder things. But you have to stay in faith that, you know what? God said he would do it. It doesn't matter what it looks like in the natural. God said it. He's going to make a way. And then Matthew 7, 7, there's a couple of scriptures here that I want to get into that will show you a little bit about persistence. So Matthew 7, verse 7, Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you'll find. So these are different stages. And then knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receive, he who seeks, finds. So seeking God is being persistent. You keep on. And so is knocking. All those who knock, it will be opened. Uh, what man is there among you if he asks his, or I'm sorry, if his son asks for bread, we'll give him a stone. If he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. 
If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to them who ask? Therefore, everything you would like men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law of the prophets. But you see here, there's a persistence in asking and seeking and knocking. And there is a parable that Jesus told, and it goes like this. I'm just going to paraphrase it, where a guy had travelers come in late at night. And they arrived at his house late in the evening after people were asleep. And he didn't have the food to take care of them that night. And obviously, this is back in Jesus' day, but let's make it modern. Let's say the stores were closed, so he couldn't go get something, right? So he goes to his neighbor's house and starts knocking on the door. This is a parable. And the neighbor was saying, go away, it's late, I'm in bed, my whole family's in bed. You're waking people up, leave us alone. And he kept knocking. And he kept knocking, and the neighbor, go away, he kept knocking, and finally, the neighbor didn't get up and give him what he needed because he was a good neighbor, or because he loved the guy enough to do it, he got up so the guy would go away. He said, basically, if I don't give this guy what he wants, I'm not going to get any sleep tonight. And so Jesus said that to say this, keep persisting in prayer. If, if... If people, being evil, so to speak, will give good gifts, how much more so will your father? So Jesus is trying to show us that if your persistence can even get evil men, so to speak, to do something for you, how much more so will your persistence get God to do something? Because he's not like us. He's, he's perfect. He's holy. He's, he, you know, he's not evil. If, if man being evil can do good things. And then Jesus told this parable in Luke 18 verse 1. He told them to illustrate that it's necessary always to pray and not lose heart. He said in a city there was a judge who did not fear God or regard man. So he's an evil judge. And a widow was in the city. Now in that time a widow was dirt poor, okay, and really struggled in that culture. There wasn't like a welfare system or something. And she came to the judge saying, avenge me, avenge me against my adversary. And he would not for a while because he didn't care. Yet afterward, she kept coming to him. Avenge me, avenge me. She kept coming. Yet afterward, he said to himself, though I do not fear God or respect man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her lest by her continual coming. She's going to wear me down. She's going to wear me out, man. And he was saying, he didn't care nothing about God. He didn't care about the widow. He simply gave her what she wanted so she would leave him alone. And then Jesus says this in verse 6, And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge says. And shall not God avenge his own elect and be patient with them who cry day and night to him? I tell you, he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, he will find what? Faith on the earth. So there is a persistence. When we know that God has said he would do something, it's just like the children of Israel. When they left Egypt, God moved in a mighty way. They saw God's hand of power. How many times has God done things for us where he's given us a promise and it came with power? I mean, maybe there was a prophetic word and then you were hit by the power of God. You fell under the power and God really touched you. But then what did Israel do? God said, I am taking you to a land flowing with milk and honey. And I mean, he parts the Red Sea and everything. And, he's, and then, before they're going to get to that land though, he, they were tested. They went to a land, the wilderness, 
that was the opposite of milk and honey. Many times God will say, I'm going to do this, that, and the other. And then you'll say, yes, Lord. And it'll come in power. I mean, you'll feel the anointing. I mean, it'll be the power of God. And then a short while after that, your life is the exact opposite of what God said. And you're being tested by that. You've got to believe God through that wilderness time into the promised land. You think about so many scriptural examples of this, but think about David. I mean, Samuel came and passed by all of his brothers. Bring David comes in, he pours the oil over his head, anoints him, says, you're going to be king of Israel. Then what happens? The exact opposite. He goes into cave dwelling for like something like scholars say up to maybe 16 years. That's a long time. Let's just say 14 years because his name equals the number 14. It means deliverance. That's kind of what I think. But for 14 years, that's a long time. After being told you're going to be king, and then you, it looks good. You know, you kill Goliath. You're, you're now, you're standing before Saul, and you have favor for a time. But then your life becomes the exact opposite of the king, where you're having to live in caves and wander around like a vagabond, and you've got these people gathered unto you, but you, you, your life is the exact opposite of being the king. And David had to believe God that in spite of that, somehow God was going to make a way for him to be king. And let me tell you, David's faith was shaken. There was a time when David seemed to lose faith in it. And he joined the Philistine army. You ought to read that story. So God was merciful to David because they could have killed him. You know, he had to act like he was crazy. You ought to read that story. It's interesting. I think that was David's low point. I think that he had lost faith that he was ever going to be king. And he had given up. But God was merciful and helped him get back into that mindset. And David had to have faith that eventually God was going to make a way. So don't get discouraged sometimes if you feel like that God's spoken to you and at some point you kind of, it just seems like it's never going to happen and you, your faith, you just feel like you're kind of losing faith. Just know this. Your faith is anchored in your spirit, not your emotions. I'm telling you, your emotions can feel like giving up, but something inside of you is saying it's still going to happen. We need faith. We've got to be walking in faith. So, like I talked about last week, faith is believing that you have received it and staying in that, that what you're saying out of your mouth and believing in your heart that you have it and thanking God you keep, but you keep persisting in prayer, the seeking and the knocking. Lord, I thank you that you said you're going to do this. I believe it. I believe it to be done. Lord, where is it in the natural? I know that you've heard me. I know it's happening. And you, you just keep seeking and knocking and being persistent. And eventually, it's going to come. That's the type of faith that pleases God. All right. And so a few other things I want to say is this. I have a series I did called The God of Blood Covenant, which changed my life. And when you look at the blood covenant, I don't have time to teach on it, but let me just make it extremely brief. But in ancient times, we don't have this in America, American culture, so people don't understand it. But the most sobering thing you could do was enter into a covenant with somebody in, a, in, in that, a blood covenant. And so let's say that an individual wanted to enter into a covenant with another individual. They would cut an animal in half and separate the pieces and walk through the bloody soil and they would take oaths together. And the subtle message was, may it be done to us like this animal if we don't 
be faithful to this covenant. And in ancient times, they would even uh, cut their on their hand, maybe on the right hand actually, and they would put something like some of that ash or something in there and make a scar intentionally on their hand. And that's why whenever they would, you would introduce yourself to somebody, they lift up their hand and say, peace be unto you. But they wanted them to see the scar on the hand because they would know that man is in covenant. And that's why I think personally, just a little tiny rabbit trail, but really ancient civilizations like the Native Americans that predated Europeans here in this continent, that's why they have some of these things. Like you remember reading about or hearing about where they would cut their wrist or their hand and then they would put their hands together and become like blood brothers. You see, that, that I, I would say never do that, but I'm just saying that I think that they had some ancient tapping into a culture that went back to the Middle East that was something very ancient that, that was still in their ancient culture. Does that make sense? Because that's similar in some ways to what I'm talking about. Because back in those ancient times to enter into a covenant, and David did that with Jonathan. He entered into a covenant, and they would exchange oaths, and they would ex- exchange some type of meaningful gift, and they would cut that covenant. And here's what that covenant meant, that if you were ever in trouble, those that you entered a blood covenant with, them and their family would come get you out of trouble. If, you, if somebody came to go to war against you, they didn't just go against you, they went against those that were in covenant. And so Jesus uh, became that sacrifice on the cross, and we have entered into a blood covenant with God. Through Christ. And that's why Jesus, even the Bible says that he, we're like on the palm of his hand, but Jesus has those scars there on his palms to remind of that blood covenant. But when we entered into that covenant, Jesus basically says, I'll be an enemy to your enemies. You see, there's, there's a covenant there. All right. When that covenant was cut, there were oaths and there were gifts exchanged. Now, what are our oaths and, and gifts? The Bible shows us a couple things without getting too deep into this. But number one, Galatians 3.13-14 through 14 says that Christ became a curse for us, redeeming us from the curses under the law. And so the blessings given to Abraham come on us. Again, Abraham walked through the bloody soil, was in covenant with God. But what were the curses under the law? If you read Deuteronomy 28, Leviticus 26... There were basically nine categories of curses, which I don't have listed in the notes, but it was things like being defeated in battle, mental illness, uh, failure, uh, oppression, various types of sickness and diseases, poverty and lack, etc. You get the idea. And it was like a curse would come on those that were disobedient. And unfortunately, you can see that. You, you see that in people's lives and families where family curses really oppress people's lives. Can't you see that? I mean, we've all seen that. And so it's sad because you see these things in family bloodlines, but Christ has redeemed us from every curse. And so we can be free from these things. And so let me just point out that if you're believing for healing or you're believing for a financial miracle, a curse under the law for disobeying God's word and not living right was sickness and poverty. But how many knows Christ has redeemed us from those things? And the blessings given to Abraham are in seven categories. And it has to do with exaltation and promotion. It has to do with health and long life. 
It has to do with prosperity and abundance, favor, victory over your enemies. So in that, I mention what? Prosperity and health. So what you need to understand is, is that part of our covenant that God cut with us at Calvary involved the fact that we are redeemed from the curses under the law, which have to do with sickness and poverty. Not to mention other things. Is this making sense tonight? So we need to lay hold of the fact that God has promised us different covenantal promises that was that was in the cross, what Jesus did. Some of it went back to, it's like being engrafted into Abraham's covenant. But in that, God has said that, that that sickness and poverty were a curse under the law. And you've been delivered from that. When God sees us, he's wanting us to walk in the blessings given to Abraham, who was blessed in all things. And then we also see in the blood covenant, if that wasn't enough, that Jesus himself bore in his body our sin, that we can die to sin and live in a righteousness. And, and Peter said that by his stripes you were healed. So when Jesus took the whipping post on his back that they, they, the cat of nine tails, and he was there and he took that payment, they plowed his back open, blood shed from his back, and that blood was, was payment for our healing. So when you look at the cross, the back of the cross is for healing. The front of the cross is for sin and deliverance. But think about that. Jesus' back paid for our healing. That's part of the covenant. When Calvary took place, Jesus was that offering that, that, that we entered into a blood covenant. There were oaths that were taken. There were gifts exchanged at these type of things. And one of the promises, one of the oaths from God was that you would be healed. The Bible says he was bruised for our, our, our iniquity and he was pierced for our transgressions. So that's also a promise. And then also to add to that, Matthew chapter 8, 16 through 17, it says that he bore our sickness, which implies in the Greek like a substitution. He carried it upon himself. My point is, is that it's part of our blood covenant rites. And so we've got to meditate on the Word of God and meditate on these things that I'm, I'm speaking of until it gets in your spirit. There was a lady, I can't remember her whole name, Yeomans was the la her last name, but she was a great teacher of faith. In fact, she was a great inspiration to Kenneth Hagin Sr. He would mention her in, many times. But she had a, a guy that was, was really sick and on his deathbed. And I remember reading about this. And she had told him, now listen, the sickness, I think if I remember right, he was dealing with tuberculosis. And so he was kind of wasting away. But she told him that, it, now I'm going to assume it was tuberculosis, okay? But he was dying from it. And she said, now listen, tuberculosis is a curse under the law. And Christ redeemed you from the curse under the law. That the blessings given to Abraham of healing might be yours. And he said, okay. And she said, you need to meditate on that. You need to keep speaking that. Get it in your spirit. So he's laying there dying, so he has nothing else to do but that. And, and he, you know what? After a few days, I don't remember how many days in this story, because I read about this story years ago. But he popped up one morning and was downstairs, and he was wanting breakfast and coffee. And he, he had been on his deathbed. And they were like, you doing okay? And he said, yeah, I feel great. And he was, he was healed. And, he, and so here's what happened. He was telling them his testimony. 
he said, Sister Yomer, whatever, told me that. And he said, just throughout the night till I fell asleep, and when I woke up in the morning, I'd keep meditating on that. And I would keep speaking that over and over. Now, you know what? This tuberculosis is a curse under the law. And Christ redeemed me from the curse. He became a curse for me. That the blessings given to Abraham, and that's healing, are mine. And he would just keep meditating on that and speak. He had nothing else to do. And he just kept meditating, kept speaking it out loud until at some point it must have got down in his spirit. And he all of a sudden just popped up and was he felt a surge of energy shoot through him. And the power of God touched him. And did you know that man was totally healed? So there's something about getting it in your spirit. And this is something we all must do. And, and let me tell you how important it is to get this down in us. There was a, a precious lady, and uh, this was a Kenneth Hagin story, actually, that she was in a nursing home, and she was very elderly, and, and it was just kind of her time to go be with the Lord, you know. And as she was toward the very, very latter part of her life, and she had had some onset of dementia or whatever, and she was, they were expecting her to pass before long, and he had went to see her. And even though her mind was not what it used to be, he was talking to her and they started talking about scripture. And all of a sudden she just started just quoting scripture. I mean, he was shocked because she just wouldn't stop. Just more and more scripture coming out of her. I mean, paragraphs and just, and he thought, dear Lord, this lady knew the word, but it wasn't, it wasn't here because she was struggling in this area. Now, where was it? It was in her spirit. You see what I'm saying? That's where faith is. That's where faith really comes from. And so that's, he was making a point that she had gotten it down in her so deep that it wasn't in the, the actual memory of her mind per se, but it was coming up out of her spirit. Okay, and so let me show you about God's blessing. How many want to live in God's blessings? All right, blessings come from obedience. Curses come from disobedience. Even if you call yourself a Christian, you go to church, if you're living in unrepentant sin, it's impossible to really be living in God's blessings. Okay, You're living under different types of judgments and curses because of your sin. But if you'll repent of your sin and truly change and start living right, you can live in God's blessings. Amen? So I need to say this, but I want everybody to please look this way and hear me because... Uh, now I want to say something that I really want people to hear. Many times, God will choose to bring about miracles and blessings in ways that are unexpected by you. All right, I'm going to share this because I feel it's important for some reason. This week, it was in my spirit, I need to say this. So, when Abraham went into Egypt because of a famine, and Pharaoh took Sarah, his wife, remember that, into his harem... Abraham was upset, but he got Sarah back. And when he did, what happened? Pharaoh gave him all this wealth. Now, Pharaoh was about as much of, his, of an ungodly source as you can have. Pharaoh and these Egyptians there, they, they were deeply involved in the occult and idolatry. The Bible says the wealth of the wicked is what? laid up for the righteous and Abraham left there wealthy because the wealth of Pharaoh the wicked was transferred to him and that was an unexpected source and it was also a wicked source 
Think about it. There's so many examples that it would take way too long of Israel conquering enemies. I mean, Canaanite enemies, those that were they're evil people. And yet they plundered the goods of what, when they won the war. They, they plundered that wealth, okay? David did that, but the Amalekites recovered all and then everything else they had. But I think about Israel leaving Egypt. This is the last example. The wealth of the wicked laid up for the righteous. A wealth transfer here. The Bible says in Psalms that when they came out, there were none sick or feeble among them, and they plundered Egypt, right? Plundered their silver and gold. When they came out, God moved on the Egyptians favorably that when Israel was leaving, Moses told them, ask your neighbors and everybody for silver and gold. And they gave it to him. But Egypt, again, deeply involved in idolatry, in the occult, that it was not a godly source. In fact, it's hard for me to believe that a lot of things that they received didn't have types, different types of Egyptian engravings and everything else on it. But they gave it, it was, it was the wealth of the wicked transferred to Israel. Then they go out in the wilderness. And at some point in time, God showed Moses, I want you to build a tabernacle. So what does he do? He takes up a love offering from the Israelites. And what did they give Moses? They gave him a lot of the silver and gold and everything they got from the Egyptians. And they bring it to him and they give him all of that, probably a lot of different types of wool and fabric, everything that they needed. And then what happened? It was that very gold that they got from the wicked that was melted down and overlaid over the Ark of the Covenant, overlaid the altar of incense. It was the very bronze that they got from the wicked that overlaid the bronze altar. The fabric, the wool, all that they got from Egypt was the, what was hanging over that tabernacle. Just keep that in mind because here we are in the last days. God's wanting to send a revival. He's wanting to pour out His Spirit and bring in a harvest of souls. And He knows that it's going to take supernatural provision at times. Don't be surprised if God doesn't make a way that you would have never thought that even from a wicked source wealth ends up coming into river of life. Would you be willing to be the conduit of that is the question. So don't, if it comes from an evil source and it's God providing, don't turn your back on it and just remember what I said because it may be God using Pharaoh, so to speak, and using kind of the Egyptians to give you something that it's not even really intended for you. It's intended to come in a river of life because God wants provision for these souls that are going to be coming in. Isn't that something? But God's blessing. Abraham walked in God's blessing. We don't read about Abraham uh, going through some terrible sickness. or and We don't read about Abraham being dirt poor and struggling. Abraham lived in God's blessing. And I know we're all going to go through things in life. I'm not saying that. But God wants us overall, when you look at the overall picture of our lives as Christians... God wants our lives to be blessed. Amen? And so here's Exodus 23:24. It says, You must not bow down to their gods nor serve them. Now that's the key. You've got to take it in context. He's saying if you're not going to bow down to other gods, and it says, or do according to their practices, that's the occult. If you're not going to practice witchcraft and sorcery, etc., 
but you shall utterly overthrow them and break down their images into pieces. Now look at this. In context of what God just said, you're not going to have idolatry of the occult in your life. That's the context. Does everybody hear what I'm saying? Verse 25, he said, but if you will serve the Lord your God, worship him only, right? He says, he will bless your bread and your water, and he will remove sickness from your midst. None shall be miscarrying or be barren in the land, and I will what? Fulfill the number of your days. You've got to take it in context. If we're not going to be mixed up in idolatry and the occult, he said, my blessing will be on your food and drink, sickness removed from you. You won't have miscarriages. And then he says, you'll live your full lifespan. That's awesome, isn't it? The next is 15.26. He said, if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do what's right in His sight and give ear to His commandments and keep all His statutes. Do you know what that means for us today? That we really obey the Bible. If we're going to live truly right with God, we're not going to be lying. We're not going to be defrauding people. We're not going to be in sexual sin. We're not going to be doing all these other things we're not supposed to be doing. We're not going to be messing around with the occult. He said, if you'll do what's right and you'll live the way the Bible says to live and give ear to God's commandments, he said this, and keep all the statutes, I will not afflict you with any of the diseases with which I have afflicted the Egyptians from the Lord who heals you. So we can stand in faith that if we are living obedient to God's word, the Lord has promised us that the enemy will not be able to afflict us. And that he will come and heal us. Amen. And then finally, God's heart revealed in Christ. Matthew twelve fifteen. But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew from there and great crowds followed him. And what? He healed them all. If there, Jesus, if I could say this a little bit rabbit trail here. But Jesus said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Think about that. So what we're seeing Jesus do is what the Father's doing. In other words, Jesus would put it this way, I believe, if I could put it in my own words. He, he would say this, what I see the Father doing, that's what I'm doing. What I hear the Father speaking, that's what I'm speaking. And so when you see things like this, you have to think to yourself, this is the will of God. And so Jesus, like I said last week, there was never a time that somebody came to Jesus and was turned away. Think about that for a moment. Even those that were not in covenant. Now that's a big deal. People, people read over that and really don't realize what they're reading. When that Canaanite woman came, she was absolutely not in any type of covenant or relationship with God whatsoever. She was a heathen. You go out here and you know, just somebody's a total heathen. But she came to Jesus and she said, would you please heal my daughter? She's possessed by demonic spirits. She's tormented. And Jesus was acknowledging the fact, you're not really in covenant. It's not really right for me to take the children's bread and cast it to their dogs. Instead of getting offended, she was a smart woman. She said, Lord, even the dogs eat crumbs from the master's table. And he said, okay, this woman has great faith. So you know what? Go back and it's done just like you believed. And she got her miracle. Jesus wouldn't even turn away the wicked. Everybody that came to him, 100%, he healed them. 
And so we know that we've seen, when we see Jesus, we see the Father. So it was not God's will that any person come to Jesus and not be healed. Now, if Jesus had healed some and others came to him and he turned them away, then we could change our doctrine, couldn't we? But there's not one time in Scripture where somebody sincerely came to the Lord and he didn't do whatever they asked him, please do this. He did it. All right, in 3 John 2, we see, Beloved, I pray that all go well with you, that you may be in good health, even as your soul is well. And the King James says, as your soul prospers. But he's saying there that you be in health and that things go well for you, that there's prosperity as your soul prospers. So you know what that means? The soul prospering means that our minds are being renewed, that we that we know the word and, and that we're getting it down in our spirit and we're acknowledging the fact in our in our beliefs that God is wanting us to be healthy and prosperous and in victory. All right, and then finally, Acts ten thirty eight, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went around doing good, healing all oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Now I want you to notice in that scripture that Jesus stated there that what well, says about him rather that he healed all what oppressed of the devil. Now that's interesting because the Bible is equating there in that scripture that the people Jesus ministered to, whether they were demonized or they needed some type of healing, that the Bible is acknowledging the fact that it goes back to the oppression of the enemy to some degree. You see that? And so when we understand that, that we are destroying the works of Satan and his kingdom whenever we're praying for the sick and whenever we're breaking the power of poverty off people and we're believing with them for God to meet their needs, whatever it is, that we're destroying the enemy's kingdom and his works and driving it out and we're praying for God's will to be done in their life as a seed of Abraham that, that the blessings given to Abraham be at work in their life. And as the Bible says, on earth as it is in heaven, okay, is there any sick in heaven? Is there any poor people in heaven? Is there any tormented people in heaven? Are there mentally ill people in heaven? So obviously God is wanting it to be as it is in heaven in people's lives, okay? Which gives us testimonies to glorify Christ, amen? But many times people never hear this type of preaching and say they don't have faith to believe God. Instead, they hear ridiculous preaching that's telling them things like cessationism, which believes that all of this died with the last apostle. Nothing to do with scripture, total heresy. Listen, we need to preach the word. And whenever you preach this way and you get people to believe the word of God, faith comes by hearing and they start hearing this type of preaching. They realize, hey, wait a second. God does want me healed. He does want me uh, taken care of financially. He does want to meet my needs. He wants my life blessed. And they start believing that and they start asking God for it. You know what happens? They're going to start seeing it. So this type of preaching is so important, especially in the days that we're living here in the last days. There's going to be a lot going on. There's going to be a lot of spiritual warfare, a lot of crazy stuff going on in the world. And we need to know what the Bible says and start believing it. Believe God to supernaturally protect. Look at the life of Abraham. 
that he was blessed in every area of his life. When Lot got captured by those four kings, Abraham and his family went to war against four kings and their military, four militaries. First off, that took crazy courage, but it took a lot of faith, and Abraham actually defeated them. I mean, that okay, so again, the blessings given to Abraham, that was God's blessing on him for supernatural victory over your enemies. There was no way that he won that on his own. God gave him that victory. And there was, there was a supernatural protection over his life. You never hear about him being attacked, even though he lived as a foreigner in, in Canaan. He was protected from things around him. Uh, you see that God prospered him financially. God blessed his family with health. So Abraham was blessed. And then the Bible says we are the seed of Abraham. And the oath and blessings given to Abraham are our inheritance. Do you realize that? We are sons and daughters of Abraham. And in a, a very real sense that this is the way the Bible views these things, that, that as the seed of Abraham, we were within Abraham, if you will, as the seed. Understand, we were within. So when he walked through that bloody soil and God cut covenant, he was cutting covenant with all the seed of Abraham. And we share in that. So let that, that really radically touched me when God revealed to me the God of blood covenant. And I saw, it was just something God showed me, but I saw like being with Abraham in that bloody soil, so to speak, and sharing in that covenant that was cut. And I understood covenant and those blessings coming on my life. And that really impacted me. And I encourage you to realize who you are and what you have in Christ. And remember what I talked about last week. That we've already prayed about some things, and I believe that God has already heard it, and I believe it's already been set in motion. Some of you already have testimonies, but listen, even if you haven't seen all of it manifest in the natural yet, remember that you have your faith as a substance, and that it was already prayed about. And move into the realm of, Lord, we've already prayed about this. I'm not seeing it in the natural yet, but I know I have it. And Lord, I thank you that you're moving in my life, that these things are manifesting, they're happening. And as you stay in that realm of faith, I promise you eventually things are going to start changing. Sometimes it takes time, but it will happen, okay? And so I want to close out and just say a prayer about this, but how many have been learning something through this? Listen, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Abraham believed God and it was accredited to him as righteousness and he called those things that are not as though they were. That means he spoke in faith. I am the father of nations even though Sarah had never been able to have a child up to that point. You see, he had faith. He called things that were not as though they were. So Lord, I thank you tonight for hearing and answering the prayers over this sermon. Even as we go through and we're going to pray over people, I thank you tonight for an intense anointing in this altar time, but also thank you, Lord, for getting this in our spirit. The more I preach on it, the, the more I sense that it's strengthening people's faith. And Lord, I thank you that faith comes by hearing. I thank you for helping all of River of Life and those that follow our ministry that our faith will increase and strengthen and we will understand how to use our faith and to believe God because there has to be an understanding that we believe we have received it and we speak in faith. And Lord, help us to, to walk and live in faith. The just shall live by faith. And we thank you for it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.
All right, so we're going to pray with people, and I, I have felt the presence of God here tonight so strong, and I want God to really touch you guys as we pray. So let's, find, let's move chairs and just begin to worship.